Welcome to Dare to Try, a Tata podcast that celebrates the brave souls that take a leap of faith to make their ideas into a reality. I'm Ruth Barnes, and I did exactly that starting a podcast production company last year. It's terrifying, and it's good to hear from others how they've coped with the pressures and pitfalls of going out on your own. In this episode, we talk to Joyce and Riza de Haas from Double Dutch Drinks. Joyce and Riza have always enjoyed a good drink. The house they grew up in had a small wholesale wine and spirit shop, which cultivated their knowledge of high-quality drinks. However, they found that the mixers were often boring and overpowering. While studying at London's UCL, they used their flatmates and friends as more than willing guinea pigs to try out their experimental mixer ideas. Market research with bartenders, mixologists and drinkers led them to develop their own unique range of mixers and Double Dutch Drinks was born. Their enthusiasm for their product is infectious. Listen to their story and you'll want to go drinking with these two and raise a glass to their success. Joyce and Riza, welcome to Dare to Try. Lovely to see you both. First of all, I I read something on your website that made me go, wait a minute, the Netherlands is the birthplace of gin. Tell me more about this. (laughs) So actually, gin was created from Geneva. And Geneva was invented in the Netherlands. We have loads, still loads of like gin distilleries, Geneva distilleries. So it was like invented in the 16th century, initially as like a medicine for stomach pain. But then people really loved it so much. So they started like stealing it in the pharmacies. So then the Netherlands said like, let's make it a national drink and... How is that not like the, in the national anthem, this fact that the Netherlands is the home of gin? That is just wonderful. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it really should be. So it's gin. It's gin. I mean, I've been over to, to the Netherlands a few times, but I don't remember gin being the big thing. It's beer. It's everyone's drinking beer. And so has gin become, has it fallen out of fashion over there? Or Geneva has become like super old school and for I would see my grandparents drinking it, but that's it maybe. And gin, the gin hype is coming. I don't know, it's kind of faded away for a long time, no? Yeah. That's interesting because the gin hype has definitely been here for the last yeah. couple of years, right? I mean, yeah. I guess, did this did it all kind of fit together for you in terms of thinking gin is what you want to do and then the mixers and bringing it all together just as gin became really fashionable, certainly in London? Yeah, but I think for us, we definitely created Double Dutch. It was more for like vodkas as well and tequilas and like just like in general, like mixes. But then there's been like gin hype here in London. It definitely made us aware like, wow, British people drink more than the Dutch and <laughs> you drink so much gin. So focus on the gin for now. <laughs> I love it. That's great. When you were growing up, the mixes were horrible. Is that right? So what were they mixing it with back then? What did they used to use? In the Netherlands, it's probably the same as it was like 20 years ago here in the UK. You have like one type of tonic water. (laughs) And people also in the Netherlands, they often make like their own mixes in bars. But it's a type of tonic water, but it's less bitter. Yeah, well, it's just not amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's just not amazing. (laughs) Right. So talk us through some of the mixes that are your favorites. Do you have a personal favorite or one that you came up with where you thought, yes, this is it. This is the ideal mixer to go with gin. I think our two initial flavors where we launched with two and a half years ago are still definitely my favorites. So the cucumber and watermelon is super summery. It's really refreshing. I usually drink it every 
like night when we go out and we drink like all night long, then it's my go-to mixer. And then also the pomegranate and basil. So we launched with pomegranate and basil and cucumber watermelon together. The pomegranate and basil is like more herbal. It's a bit more peppery. It's definitely my favorite as like an aperitif and on a sunny day or even in winter. Definitely my two favorites. Okay, let's talk about Double Dutch, this brand, because obviously the name is wonderful. Did it take you, what, five seconds to come up with that name? Because it's so obviously wonderful for you guys, because we haven't actually mentioned here that I'm sitting in front of identical twins. Um, So how did you come up with Double Dutch, this brilliant name? It actually took us quite a long time to find a name. (laughs) We had a whole bunch of irrelevant names for, I think, six months or something. It took us a really long time. So then, Double Dutch, who, who thought of it? Actually, a friend of us during a drunk night, he All said we should ideas. call it Double Dutch. That would be so much fun. And we were just laughing about it like, yeah, it's not going to happen. But then next day we remembered <laughs> and we thought we remember something. So, And Double Dutch, so let's just try it. And we got really good feedback and I'm really happy with the name. I think it's fantastic. Okay, so you, you've got Double Dutch and it must have been like the penny must have dropped then when you had the name because the name is the start of it, isn't it? That's when you can really start yeah. to think about what it's going to yeah. look like and how it's going to sit in the market. What was the kind of next sort of research that you did or, or what did you do after that? After the name, we started looking into like how we wanted to have our labels look like, how our bottle was going to look like, how we wanted to like brand the whole business that we really want to focus on being like a Dutch brand or did we just want to like play on the words and have it like as a bit of like relevance to like the fact that it's like double pairing and then double Dutch twins and then the double Dutch speaking double Dutch and I think for us we eventually decided to go more for like just like the fun play on double Dutch and don't make it like a a lot of people told us like oh it's called double Dutch so you need to like have clocks as a logo or something (laughs) Um, but we didn't, which I'm very glad of. <laughs> you made the right choice yeah. there, guys. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Tell me about your backgrounds then, because obviously it's. I think it bleeds into this idea of the brand itself, doesn't it? So what do you think really comes with you too that you've brought from that house that you grew up in that comes into the Double Dutch brand? I think definitely because we always grew up like with these huge range of like spirits in our house and doing lots of tastings. I think definitely like adding some creativity and like always experimenting with all different types of flavors. And especially in the Netherlands, because we also grew up like in the countryside. So we had like the greenhouse of our grandparents who grew cucumbers and then we would use that. And I think that kind of heritage is still very much like in the flavor development we're doing at the moment. Great. So it was things that you were actually just kind of picking from your home veg patch. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's fantastic. Okay, so market research. Did you undertake any kind of formal market research? And what did you do and how did it help you? So we did a master in finance in uh, Belgium and then did a second master in technology entrepreneurship at UCL. And during our master at UCL, we wrote our dissertation about the fact that spirits are becoming so much more experimental, but choice of mixers is pretty boring. So during that year for our dissertation, we did lots of market research with partners on the one hand side to look at what they are looking for, what kind of tonic waters they would be interested in, but also on like the branding side, are they interested more in the story or in the heritage of the ingredients or more about the fact that it's low in sugars or all natural and those kind of sites. But then we also did lots of taste testings with consumers to see what kind of flavors we, like which direction we were going to, more sour or bitter or sweeter flavors. So I think we did lots of, lots of market research for about a year or something. Wow. Was there anything that you were thinking of 
that you've radically changed your minds after doing the market research? I think what definitely came about it is that we wanted to be like low in sugars, that that was like really important and then it's like 100% natural. So like the healthy side and the fact that it appeared that consumers especially were like looking for like different flavors. And we also saw that in like the whole rise of more experimentation in the spirit sides. I think we definitely in the beginning thought to go into cans and 330 mil. I don't know. I think that's just what we thought was like the... That's what you do yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna do mixes. <laughs> exactly. That's what you're gonna do. But then, like we very quickly on, it appeared that people preferred glass, and then 200 mil, especially the 200 mil, we did loads of like tastings and um, research on what people preferred in bars, and there was a massive preference on like the 200 mil. So when you say the 200 mil, so you've had your, your gin is in the glass and you're throwing 200 mils of yeah. pomegranates and basil yeah. in with it. Yeah. Okay. With so many brands vying for our attention, what are the secrets to standing out from the crowd? It's Graham Caravis from Tata Global Beverages. I'm the UK Managing Director. I think you can spot opportunities to innovate in traditional industries like the beverage industry and specifically tea in my case by being really clear about what the consumer trends are, what are the category insights that may lead to innovation and also how are shoppers likely to behave in the future. So if you look broadly at things like consumer trends, I guess they've been pretty similar for quite a long period of time. So there's a big mega trend around health. People are looking for healthy solutions. People are often looking for more convenient solutions. So convenience is obviously a trend that you need to be aware of. There's a move towards more premium products, so people are prepared to pay more for higher quality products. But I guess overall, whatever innovation you want to come up with, no matter what industry, it needs to be able to add value in terms of what it can deliver, A, for a retailer and B, for a consumer or a customer. So within uh, Tata Global Beverages, for example, we've really looked to capitalise on the trend of health The trend of convenience, I think, is also a really interesting one. So not only in terms of the product that you develop, in some ways it may be able to offer something that's convenient to a shopper, but also potentially things like packaging and the way the product is served may also offer an element of convenience to a consumer. So in summary, I guess you need to really be clear on what are the big trends that are coming down the line, be really clear on how shoppers are likely to behave moving forward, and also be clear on what are the likely implications from a broader category perspective. So what advice would you have for entrepreneurs when they're embarking on this kind of brand creation journey? I think market research and feedback with consumers is super important. So I think lots of people might want to wait with launching until their product is 100% ready and it's the design is 100% ready and the product itself is totally there. But I think as long as you have something to show consumers or your customers, I think it's cute to just launch and see what feedback what the feedback is. For example, with our cucumber watermelon, we launched and then we slightly changed our recipes afterwards as well, just because people thought it had to have a little bit more freshness into it. And we also totally changed our labels and branding eight months after we launched, which was quite a long time after our launch. But I think it's important to just 
get it out there and then feedback will come and be open to changing. What was it that you changed? I mean, eight months, like you say, to change the label. That's big. What did you do? What was the big change? Everything. Everything. <laughs> everything. everything. <laughs> so people have just said to you, love the mixer, but hate the label. Yeah, literally. <laughs> literally. <laughs> we got like one feedback of like a bar. They said like, I'd love to stock it, but I need to find like a solution <laughs> that people don't see the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> That's horrible to hear. <laughs> like, yeah, now is the moment. <laughs> Jeez, you guys, you must have just thought, let's quit. Let's just yeah. leave it now. This is, we're obviously not in the right business. So what was that label? Can you describe it for me? It was very glossy. It was like black, like a 90s nightclub in a label yeah. or something. <laughs> Not good. Oh boy, a 90s nightclub in a label. <laughs> Run away. Okay, so you went for the opposite of that, which yeah. is, what can you describe your label for us, please? We w- wanted to go for like much more clean, just like very simple, let our colors and flavors like describe themselves. So it's, if you look at the bottle, it looks like a crest, but it's actually me and Raisa with a bit more hair and a gloss in our hands. And then it just says like the flavors. I think now I really love our labels. If you see like our whole collection next to each other, it's just like clean and flavorful. And Did you go back to that farm run and go like, look, we've changed it. <laughs> Please stock us. <laughs> Were there any moments where you had a kind of eureka moment in terms of that final identity of the brand? Was there a moment where you went, aha, this will be what we need to do? I think it was more with little steps getting along to and finally we were there I think the name was a big step and getting the flavors right but then everything else I think is just with very very tiny steps along the way and how do you cope with people going no I hated it because <laughs> that's it's hard <laughs> that's hard to hear you've yeah. created something and someone's like oh god yeah. no <laughs> I think being with the two of us makes a big difference if one is down then the other one can kind of pick you up a little bit it's never nice to hear no's and people saying that they really don't like your product but I think you kind of have to hold on on people that really love it and then just think yes one person hates it it's fine I'll get over it <laughs> so you guys have had a lot of success, I think, already, it's safe to say, in the early days of this product, which is very exciting. Has there been any moments where you've thought, actually, we don't want to take advice from this person? Because obviously you two are sisters, you have a very special relationship. Has there ever been that time where you've just thought, hey, this is not feeling quite right? And how do you cope with that? Yeah, I think it happened more than once. Again, that's probably a bit easier because we're with the two of us. And then after like a meeting, I get to Raisa and I say like, hmm, strange advice, do you agree? <laughs> I completely don't agree, don't like the person. And then Raisa often is also from maybe just move along. And We're super open to advice. We're also super open to changing everything about anything that I think is right. But I think sometimes too much advice and like too many cooks. If we try and do, for example, a design meeting... We try and not do it with too many people because too many people in the room just make too many different opinions and then it's just difficult to follow which one is right. It's it's a funny one, isn't it? Because you are the brand. So when you go to events, when you're out there selling, you have to be on the whole time. You are double Dutch. You're on the label, right? <laughs> do you feel like you're kind of on all the time and that sometimes it might be easier to have just been a kind of person in the background and that the brand was something else? It wasn't you two. I really enjoy it so much and I think it's really like my baby so I don't care I'm really night and day weekend or week and I do think it really differentiates ourselves from other stories or from other brands in the category sometimes it's a bit tiring but it really uplifts the 
advantages over the disadvantages. What about you, Raisa? Yeah, I don't really mind. I think it's really good that we are the face of the band. And it's good that we're with the two of us because you can really work on each other. And if I don't know the answer, then Charles can maybe answer and we can just fill each other up. Yeah. The ideal team. <laughs> what would be your advice for entrepreneurs looking to create an effective brand? Just one piece of advice from both of you. Joyce, you go first. Nowadays, story is really important. Don't try to make like a me too brand of another successful brand in your category. Try to differentiate either via the heritage or via new research and development in your category or really try to make something completely different than what is popular in your category. I think that comes naturally from starting something in what you have a passion. I think if you have to think about making up a story or thinking about making the marketing wide, then maybe that's not the product you should go for and find something that you are really passionate about or where you have a background in or something that you can really, where you're okay with to go to bed with at night. Finally, where do you two see Double Dutch in five, ten years' time? Talk us through the, the future plans. We're focusing a lot on growing the UK distribution at the moment. We're hiring a lot, which is very exciting. But then we're focusing a lot on export as well. So at the moment, we're in 17 countries in Europe. And for 2018 and 19, we're going to try and really crack the US and Asia as well. So that's very exciting. And there we're doing constant research and development on flavors. We have a few amazing flavors in the pipeline, which I'm very excited about launching next year or maybe the year after. Will it always be gin? Definitely not. We're doing a lot with lower ABV kind of cocktail drink styles. We're also focusing a lot on like tequilas, mezcals, vermouths. There's still like so many different types of spirits that our mixes also can be uh, mixed with. So we just launched a limited edition spices and oak wood, which goes amazing with Japanese whiskies. And then our cranberry and ginger goes really well with cognacs. So I think the exciting thing is to really keep on researching with different types of spirits. And gins are amazing, but there's so much more next to a gin. A good entry point into your brand, though, gin. Yes, and then, yeah, you know, sure. there's so much more to it. <laughs> Lovely. Well, thank you both for coming on Dare to Try. Thank you. Thank you very much. Dare to Try is a Tata production. To learn more about how Tata supports innovation and entrepreneurs, follow us on Twitter at Tata Europe.